Hello. Hello, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? Oh, well, I'm sick. You're No, not again. Well, you mean you say that as though I'm sick constantly, which I'm, I'm not. No, you're not. But I am sick. I woke up in the middle of the night feeling sick. But, you know, Dan, I'm one of those show must go on types. I know you are. What's, uh, what are your, what's your illness? Uh, <clears throat> it's unclear. You know, this time of year, a lot of things start as allergies. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was a sort of a novel experience last night. I, I, I feel very, how do you put it? I feel very acidic. I feel like there's an imbalance <laughs> in me somehow, a pH <laughs> imbalance, and I am now more acidic than normal. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, is it, it, you sound a little congested, but you, when you say acidic, I feel like you're talking about bile. Mm. No, not really. I mean, not bile so much, but just, you know, the kind of general level of, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a tremendous amount of vinegar in me normally. Just like feels pi- like, like a, the piss and vinegar kind of vinegar or actual <laughs> vinegar, of, you know, <clears throat> yeah, sort of that, the sort of frontier vinegar that yeah. you would, that you need from a, from a, a local lawman. All right. But, uh, but no, right now I feel a little bit more up to my ears in vinegar. Mm. You know, not very long ago. Well, wait a minute. No, it was in fact a long time ago. Uh, television's Scott Simpson. You remember Scott Simpson yes. from, from the band television and from. <laughs> That's how, that's how I remember him. From all of his television appearances. <laughs> yeah. Scott Simpson paid me a visit, and he brought along with him two, um, what he claimed to be, uh, what he claimed were Japanese ear picks, which were long. I know what these are. I know what these yeah. are. You've seen these before? I've seen them on TV. And at first I was very suspicious of them, because as you know, you're not supposed to put anything in your ear bigger than your elbow. And uh, so I left him alone. <clears throat> but then recently I picked him up and started experimenting with them. And now wait, uh, are, Okay. Aren't these things, if I remember right, they're almost like skewers or something. Mm-hmm. And they're the, a, per, a person uses them on usually, and you don't use them on yourself is my understanding. You, another person uses them on you and they are used to clean out your ear whack. Boy, well, I am already using them incorrectly then because I'm using them on myself. Um, but I, so I followed up after using them for a while and I was like, what exactly are, what exactly are these things? And I looked it up and did you know, Dan, that there are two types of human earwax? Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, of course. Uh, there's the, um, there's the sort of dry, flaky, crusty kind. And then there's mm. the, I guess, more sort of thick, greasy kind and mm-hmm. the uh, my my understanding is that the cr- crispy kind is more common in people of Asian descent and that the greasy thick kind is more common in the western the Western person and that that's that these particular kinds of picks or whatever are more useful to the Asian type people because I guess it's easier to clean it or they're designed to clean that kind hmm. Do I have I it right? No, I hope no one is having their breakfast or lunch. Oh, no one. You know, listen, program. by now, 50, 60 episodes in, they know not to eat during this show. Yeah, okay, you're right. 
Um, Dan, that was a uh, that was an incredibly good, lucid description of the different kinds of earwax. I'm 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 very impressed. Uh-huh. You're carrying around that kind. I of know knowledge. my wax. I know yeah. my wax. Well, for a while there, I thought that I was transitioning from wax type number one to wax type number two. And what, what makes you have a different kind of a wax? Is it diet? Is it climate? Is it genetics? I think it's genetic. Okay. Uh, and then, but now I feel like the pendulum is swinging back. <laughs> How so? <laughs> well, I'm just, I have, I have more of the old kind of earwax, but I have felt like there's been a, I felt like my ear has been plugged for a long time. Uh, but not like plugged like one ear is like I can't hear out of it. Just that both ears are kind of always eh, a little sort of just eh, gummed up a little bit. Yeah, sure. And I'm, I have to yawn all the time. I'm always pulling on my ears trying to get whatever's going on in there to settle down. And, uh, you know, of course, I probably should go to the doctor and have the doctor do something. But, yeah. I, but I avoid doctors. I, and I, and I, rightly so. Mm-hmm. And so – Anyway, so this this new sickness, this uh, this acidity that's in me, it feels also related somehow to the to the ears and to my use of Japanese ear picks, um, my self administered use. I'm you know what I didn't think to do is look up how to use those things. I looked up why the why of them, but I didn't look up the how of them. So I'll I'll have to dig dig back in, dig back into it. Yeah. Anyway, so here I am just feeling like a champion. Mm-hmm. <coughs> the cold is at that stage, that early stage where you're just not sure which, what it's going to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're, just, you're on the edge of your seat. What's next? Yeah, what's next? It could go anywhere of 100 different directions. You feel like, oh, God, I need coffee. But is coffee, gonna, is coffee bad for me? Like is the – should I eat a popsicle now? Should I already mm-hmm. treat myself like a sick child? Mm-hmm. Or – should I try and rally and then really put myself in the hospital? Like, no, no, no. But who knows? You know, who knows? Who knows what the right course? They often say that if it's uh, if you can, you know, n- not just sitting there, but if you have the energy to mm. sort of get up and, and even just go on a short walk or move around, that it's better be outside if it's if the weather's good, you know, and not allergies. All right. All right. <clears throat> I'll take that under advisement. Mm hmm. That's what but they who say. Knows? That's what they say. Who knows? Who knows? Because it's all, I mean, who knows? Who knows what lurks in the hearts of men? <laughs> the Man? shadow knows. Yeah. Shadow. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think you, you should take it easy though. I think you should, you know, don't push yourself. Yeah. You don't want to try and push yourself too much. You know, if I had, if I had cable television, this would be a perfect day for that. I would sit and watch the cable television. I'd watch the infomercials. I'd watch the slicer dicers. I'd find a movie for a while. I'd, uh, you know, I'd pop on over, watch a few episodes of Friends, <clears throat> which seems to be like maybe twenty percent of what's on cable television. <laughs> uh, maybe if I had HBO, I would go over there and see some Game of Thrones or something. Watch some old thing. Maybe today's a holiday that I don't know about, and it would have some holiday programming. Like a but Jerry Lewis have, uh, telethon or something? Yeah, something like that, right? Or like a, yeah, sure, a film festival. The Sundance Channel would have all the all the movies of Quentin Tarantino. Right. Um, But I don't have that, and it's times like this that I wish I did. 
<clears throat> I go into people's lovely homes and they have these wonderful home entertainment systems. And I think, wow, think of the, <clears throat> think of the way I could be entertained by that <clears throat> pile of wires and gizmos and flat black screens. But I don't have one of those. All I have is just like freaking old junk, my old junk, a bunch of ukuleles and, and, uh, you know, harmonicas, and that's not entertaining. Well, it wasn't entertaining when I wasn't sick. Is why would it be entertaining now? Yeah, I took a, a guitar apart yesterday for no good reason, and now I've got guitar parts lying all over the place. Like you took the pickups out, or just restrung it, or, or mm, I took the neck off of it. Oh, that's why you do that. Well, it's yeah. time. It was time. It was time. I had a screwdriver. No. You know, and when you have a screwdriver, every problem looks like a screw. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened. There's something I wanted to tell you about. I wanted to address it because you brought it up in the last episode. Yeah. Uh, in your in your uh your new mode of purging things and selling things and also being open to raising money in, in potentially unique ways. Yeah. Uh you mentioned that your openness to doing a Patreon for so that the the listeners would have a way to support the show, support the program. Well, I mean, I don't openness or just curiosity or yeah, I mean. Okay, but well, I, you and I, you and I had off the air. You and I had a conversation about doing it, and my thought was, yeah. if we were to do a Patreon, that because of our, our listeners are so amazing and so like engaged and they, they love, especially you, they love you so much. Is this, is this the kind of way you have to talk if you do a Patreon? Yes. You have to, you have to blow smoke up your listeners. But yes, this is how you do it. This is, trust me, I've got All this, right. I've got this. Down. Okay, okay. And, uh, and so in order to do that, uh, you, 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 you want to kind of put it out there in, in the audience and get, get them kind of aware of it. And then it kind of a grassroots thing happens and then like people just start doing it and then they, then like they get bonus content or other things, but they know that they're like supporting your goals and doing these other things. So unbeknownst to you, Uh I started a Patreon after you Uh said that you, because here's what you Uh said. This is just a reminder to, because the audience wasn't there. We were offline. We're having our own private conversation about it. You said, I wouldn't want to do a Patreon and have it suck. And have it bring in fifty dollars a month, humiliating. It would be a failure because you're the you to me. You're the kind of guy that you, when you do something, you go all the way. You want uh, something to be great. You're not going to go uh, do a show and have the show suck. You're not going to put out an album that sucks. You're not going to do a podcast that sucks. You wouldn't want to do a Patreon that sucks either. And you were very yeah. clear to me about that. Is this another part of it where you blow smoke at, at me? No. Too? Is that another part of the Patreon? No, because what I did is I said, you know, I have faith. In our listeners, I have tremendous faith in the listeners and I'm going to, so I started the Patreon for the show and I put secret messages in front of several of these episodes that I knew you would never hear because you don't listen a to podcasts and b to your own podcast. Right. So it was like, I could say anything I wanted. So at the top of the show, I said, I've started the Patreon. John doesn't know about it. Uh-huh. I'm counting on you listeners <coughs> to make the Patreon amazing so that when mm. I reveal it to John yeah. later that he's going to sm- smack his forehead. To- Dan, this is great. This is the best thing. W- wh- yeah. What a great thing you've done. 
so that was my hope anyway. So then, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Right. So then, where the story's going. Yeah. So so then last week you said, and I told the listeners, I said, don't tweet about it, don't email about it, don't talk about it, because if John hears about it, he'll say, what's going on here? And no, and uh, and Uncle John will come in and he'll listen to one of the shows. Mm, he'll break his fun. vow and listen to and hear what I'm doing. It'll ruin the surprise. But that didn't happen. People were quiet about it. So I had lots of tweets from people after last week's show where you said, I'm open to doing a Patreon now, where people were then messaging me saying, Dan, why didn't you mention to the guy about the thing? It was the perfect opportunity to do that because they think uh-huh. that you're going to read my like tweets and replies too so i didn't bring it out i didn't no. say anything about it no you uh, didn't bring it up uh, but we were we talked about patreon for at quite a quite length i know no. and i do because i wanted to do it right i wanted to do it right and i was hoping that and i even put it the links in the show notes how confident i am that you don't even go to your own show notes page i we even put it right there support the show on patreon right there in the links on the show knowing you'd never see it yeah and so, so I, but, but but it sounds like it's not what like, I, John. I we have a lot of listeners to this show. We're in the top one percent of all podcasts in the world as far as mm-hmm. listeners. Most podcasts, and I know this because I I built Fireside, and we have a lot of listeners, uh, a lot of listeners, and a lot of customers using Fireside, the hosting, the podcast hosting thing I built. And I I see most people have hundreds or or thousands of downloads for their shows. Very rarely do you see shows that start to get into the five. Or the six-figure downloads, right. uh, numbers of downloads. We're in the the tens of thousands of downloads range. We don't have a hundred thousand downloads per episode, but we've got, uh, I think, a sizable chunk. And so I yeah. would think that if we have twenty thousand people, let's say, downloading the show every week, that if all of them downloaded, if all of them donated a buck a month, I'm not going to say we'd be rich, but we'd make a great living off this show. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but that is not the case. No, no, it's never the case. You, you, you get, um, back in, back in the day when, uh, when, uh, before the internet, when we would, we had a mailing list for my band, the Western state hurricanes, (laughs) people would sign up on a clipboard at your merch table to be on your mailing list. And then we would go and make postcards that said, here are our upcoming shows. And those postcards like every one of them cost the cost of a stamp, which was <laughs> even then <clears throat> not that little. When right. You take when you have like um, a a large mailing list, it requires that you uh, lick all those stamps first of all, <laughs> but also those stamps cost money, and um, and we sent you know we would send out five hundred postcards every time we had a show, thinking. You know, if even one out of five people that receives this postcard comes to the show, it will have been worth it. But it just never, it just never works that way. People go, eh, or people go, ah, or people go, uh huh. Yeah. But it's never, it's not that it's uh, like a slam dunk. You can't, just can't base it. You can't base it. Well, I, so my theory on, after after seeing what has come in over the last few weeks of of having a patreon was it i feel like the i feel like because because you 
haven't known about it and been able to say anything about it, it hasn't resonated with the listeners. They're only oh, hearing really? me talk about it. If they heard you talk about it, then <laughs> we'd have a blockbuster Patreon. Then we'd have the Patreon people calling us saying, we we, we want to know what you guys are doing. We want to share your secrets with the rest of our, you know, it'd be big. It'd be really big. Because think right. about it. If every listener gave us a dollar a month, I mean, we're set now. We don't have to do anything else. Yeah, we could, sure. we could, we could, but it'd be gravy. It'd be the gravy. Okay, well, so I'm ready to reveal to you as of right now how many uh, patrons we have and oh, and how oh. much we're getting per month. Are you ready for this? Yeah, okay, I'm ready. Okay, and by the way, one more thing that I'll add to this is I've had people email me saying, Dan, I used to support the Dan Benjamin 5x5 Patreon, but I've canceled supporting you and I've moved my monies over to the Roadwork Patreon. Oh, so that now I'm basically getting, and many people have said this, so I'm getting less than I used to get, and I'm giving you apparently half of those people's money now. Oh well, you know that makes me happy. I figured you would. That would be the uh, yeah, the you know the 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 bright side of of this. Yeah, is that money I'm is being taking, taken from me and given to you. Anytime I'm taking food out of the Benjamin kids' mouth. <laughs> That's right. That's the so-called silver lining. Mm-hmm. For you of this. Okay. So out of our, let's say 20,000 listeners that we have, All right, let's say. 395 of them have decided to be generous and donate to support the show. Oh, oh, and, I'm, imp- I'm impressed. Okay. That's, you know, that's like, I, uh, that is a nice, you know, I was thinking it was going to be 15, 15 people. I know. Well, it was 15 for a while until I started talking more about it. And, and then Per month, those 395 people are donating uh, $1,282 per month to the $1, show. $1,282 a month. Per month. That's a total per month, which Patreon takes its cut, yeah. and then we, we split the rest 50-50. Well, now, what is Patreon's cut? Pa- what is Patreon's cut? Uh, I think there is. This is all important to know. Yeah, I, these are the kinds of things you want to know. You know, when you give money to the Red Cross, a lot of that, a lot, of, uh, an unusually large amount of that money goes to uh, ad- admin. Right. Patreon yeah. takes five percent uh, of successfully processed payments. Yeah. And then there are also these like processing fees that you can't really get around, which like PayPal or, or whoever is gonna, uh, you know, like like fees. charge. Yeah. That's how they get you with the they, processing. They do. Fees. They do get you that. And uh, all right, like uh, leaving aside the processing, five percent, five percent is mainly their take. Um. All right. So, well, I think that's delightful. You know, when I was um, before I before I got hired by Harvey Danger, uh, I was making nine hundred dollars a month. Wow. Um. At my job at Steve's Broadway News, and um. And lived comfortably. Yeah. Lived comfortably in an apartment in the coolest neighborhood in Seattle for <laughs> 900 bucks a month. And right. I also had a separate band practice space that I paid for. Uh, so, I mean, a thousand bucks a month is nothing. You were living like a at. king. When I was in my like late teens, early 20s, I was living like a king on like, you know, 700 bucks a month. I had yeah. everything I ever wanted. I had a guitar. It was great. Living like a king. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, with that in mind, I mean, a thousand bucks. I'll never, I'll never not think a thousand dollars is is uh, is a lot of cash. So right. now, what do you what do you want me to do? Do you want me to make a public appeal on behalf of a thing that I don't fully understand? And <laughs> well, say, how would that be different than anything? Else? <laughs> listen, you guys, 
well, I feel know. like now that you know about it, it's not oh, just okay. me sort of go appealing to them. That, that now that it's like the cat's out of the bag. And by the yeah. way, I wanted I wanted to cross the thousand dollar mark because I yeah. intuitively knew that if it was under a thousand dollars, you would be disappointed. It had to cross a thousand, and it just recently crossed the thousand dollar. After last episode, it went from like right around a thousand to like okay, we're well over a thousand now. I can tell John about it. I wanted to tell you last month, but you know, it took it took a while. Yeah, well, you were right to not to not tell me when it was uh, when it was one hundred and eighty dollars yeah. a month because I would have been like, "What the hell are you doing?" You would have said, I, "You would have said, I told you so," and I didn't want to hear that. Well, so my take on this is that I mean, on the one hand, uh, any of you who are who are uh, mad at Dan for doing this behind my back, you have to realize that everything uh, <clears throat> everything in my life that uh, that results in forward motion. Somebody had to do something behind my back, right? Somebody We're all just hide. your handlers, John. Somebody had to hide, uh, hide the book I was reading or somebody had to let the air out of the, one of the tires on my car or something, you know, like some, the secret hand, the invisible hand is what, uh, is what moves me. Um, but all I'll say in, is that this is a grand experiment, right? I, uh, when I was on the Joko cruise, as I said, and we asked the overflow crowd how many people supported the podcast they love directly. Right. Uh, you know, every hand in the room went up and I Do was impressed. Do you think some of them secretly were already supporting this show as well? I think so. Uh, this was already happening before I went on the Joko cruise? Yeah. Huh. Uh-huh. Wow. I know. Well, you know, I'm not on Twitter anymore. so it's Exactly. To I people. totally like took advantage of that. Yeah, nobody could like Instagram me. Right. I suppose they could have screenshotted it. Yeah. But that's interesting that you're that you have such a connection with our listeners that they are willing to like uh like indulge you in a conspiracy against <laughs> me. But so I'm curious. I am not I am agnostic about uh, about it. I I do Wouldn't it be nice though if we could make some decent money from direct support from the listeners not have to worry about trying to get ads who and to be honest like we get ads but they don't really i don't think they understand the show really we have some that do but it's harder to advertise the ones that support us understand the show but like it's hard to pitch this show to like one of the mainstream you know like ad agencies or or a lot of our our um our advertisers because i'll try to describe it like, well, what do you talk about on the show? Is it Apple? Is it Apple News? I'm like, no. Sort of. I mean, I like to talk about Apple News. <laughs> that's, but that's not how I would frame the show to a potential advertiser. It's mainly breaking Apple News here. And that's what we, yeah. it's, you know, we're going to be analyzing the, uh, the announcements in September for the new iPhone. That's our main. You want to book that show in advance? No, we can't really do that. Like today, we're, you know, we're, we're kind of talking. It's just like every show we talk about what, whatever. So it's harder to sort of pitch. And, uh, and so I, that's why I think like for this kind of show, a Patreon could, could potentially become something that, that works. I mean, the, the only anecdote I'll tell is that last night I was driving in my car and I got a text from my mom. And of course I immediately pulled over because you don't look at text while you're driving. And my mom said, have you asked your friend Cal, 
who owns an advertising agency about whether or not he can help you put ads on your podcasts. And my friend Cal does own an advertising agency and he also listens to podcasts. But I had never asked him that because it fell outside of what I considered. It, you know, it, it's not that Cal and I don't transact business because we do, but I just, I have that little tinge of like, you know, uh, it just feels unseemly. Um, but in fact, I think I, did I mention my relationship with my current relationship with the IRS on the podcast last yes, time? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that is ongoing. And, um, and so even though my mom has been hassling me about this for several months, because I think she, she had some special knowledge of what the IRS was going to say. Uh, I finally did. I, I, I called my friend Cal and I said, what do, what I, ugh, but what can we do here? And he said, well, it's a, you know, it's a very disruptive sphere. It's a very, uh, um, you know, it's a burgeoning market. We, we, uh, we made each other laugh with some, uh, some like, Silicon Valley business speak that right. we threw at each other. Sure. And then at the end he said, you know what, I'm going to look into that and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get back to you. But it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, like he said, oh, I know exactly what to do. And in, in a way, I'm just saying this, uh, to the listeners by way of saying I am reduced to this, uh, by my, by my sudden unexpected, um, obligation to our government. <laughs> I am reduced to calling friends and asking them if they can help, uh, which is, but not asking them if they can help, like, can I borrow money right. or whatever? But like, can you help me with my business? Right. Well, <laughs> so here's, here's sense, a way, here's a way. In that sense, this Patreon opportunity is just me calling you my friends, right? Am I doing this right? Yes, perfectly. And saying, help me, <laughs> help me, to <clears throat> help me not go to uh, government jail, which is a different kind of jail, a jail that you don't <laughs> want to go to. Uh, you know, back in the day, debtor's prison was a real thing. Uh, that's the Bastille, right? The Bastille was debtor's prison. And I don't want to end up in the Bastille. I don't want you, the listeners, to have to storm a Bastille when you could just donate some small pittance. Some pittance. <laughs> that's right. Up front, and that will – it's basically you are paying to not have to storm the Bastille. Well, it, if you want to help John and, and I out, uh, go to patreon.com slash roadwork and uh, donate something. Mm -hmm. I told my mom yesterday she's <clears throat> she's got a friend of mine over there working on her house because she's going to sell her house. And she's doing that thing, that inevitable thing where – as she's cleaning out the house and painting it and getting ready to sell, she's finding all these little problems that she should have fixed a long time ago. Oh, she yeah. should have fixed before we moved in. And so she and my friend, both of whom are like crazy perfectionist people are like, she came over yesterday and she, and she said, <clears throat> I'm here to get your saws all. Uh -oh. See, that's, that's cause for alarm right there. Yeah, it is. And I said, you're, we, you're not taking my saws all. You don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust you with a saws all. And she said, no, 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 it's not for me. It's for Peter. And I said, I don't know if I want Peter walking around with my Sawzall in that house. What are you doing? Oh, we found this little bit of dry rot in the, 
in some non-structural piece of wood in the basement that used to be part of the coal hopper from when the house was heated with coal. And I'm like, go on. And she said, so we're going to sawzall out the bottom of it and then put in all these other wood parts and rebuild the thing from the ground up and make it better than it was and faster and stronger. And I said, hold it right there. You know, you're selling this house. When I bought my house, I walked in and, you know, there was a a dead antelope in the living room. And I said, (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) You know, when you bought your house, it was a total pile of garbage. And you walked in the door and said, I'll take it. Like your, her house now is this beautifully restored, just perfectly elegant house. And she and my dingling friend are down in the basement and found six inches of dry rot. And they've got the, they've got the sawzall out. And I'm like, first of all, no, you are forbidden from touching the sawzall. It's a dangerous tool and it, it needs to be operated only by qualified operators. And I am not one either. And that's why the sawzall just sits on the shelf because I've definitely chased that sawzall around a barn a couple of times, you know, like it's a terrifying thing. A a sawzall even used properly. Can you just, I'm sure that there are people in the audience that don't know what a sawzall is. Could you describe it for our listeners? So a sawzall is a tool that is the size of a machine gun. And it's, it's, it's meant to be sort of held like a machine gun. Um, it looks somewhat like a machine gun, except it out of the end of it, instead of a barrel, there is a reciprocating saw, saw blade. So like a long saw blade that's the sh- size and shape of a bayonet. And it goes in and out really fast. And you use it to, you use it to rough cut things. It's not a finish carpentry tool. It's like, I need a hole in this wood wall immediately. Right. You get the sawzall and just, but the thing about it is that it's, you know, every saw has the possibility to, to kick back or to, you know, to like behave unpredictably. And a sawzall is, I find, the most unpredictable of all the sawing tools because this thing is going back and forth. But if it grabs onto something, if the blade locks onto something, grabs onto something, all of a sudden the whole body of the sawzall can very rapidly go, you know, like uh, start to to shake and reciprocate in your hand. So, you know. And, and also there's nothing like a, like a, like a circular saw, you, you have a guide, a piece of metal that acts as a guide that you can use to keep the saw stable as you run it along whatever you're sawing. But the sawzall has nothing to, to, uh, steady it except your two hands. So if it starts to go wild you're going wild with it. And, you know, and I've used a sawzall to cut. <coughs> it's not just for cutting wood. You can cut nails. You can cut pipe. You can cut all kinds of things. But the thing is, like, fundamentally fundamentally dangerous. And my little five-foot-tall mom is, you know, like, she has used every power tool. And and we both agree that the sawzall is, like, not, not for her. Sawzalls and chainsaws. Neither thing does she want mm-hmm. to monkey. Now, Peter, my pal, loves sawzalls and chainsaws. And if left to his own devices, he and my mom would have 
chainsawed and saws all the entire foundation out of her house by now. <laughs> it's almost like it's like a the only way I can describe the appeal of a sawzall for somebody who's into projects, big projects, is sort of it's like a like a really big Dremel tool. In the mm. sense that when you get a Dremel tool at first, you're like, oh, I think I could do something with that. And then you just mm-hmm. kind of start to find things that you want to put little holes into or burnish edges of things or just start shaping things that already had a shape that was just fine. I think the Sawzall is kind of like that, the big boy version of the Dremel tool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anytime you see, anytime you look into, um, as you as you travel the world, <clears throat> If you ever see a, a sawed line in a <clears throat> in a in any kind of wood or any kind of drywall, a sawed line that is completely uneven, that goes up and down, wavering like the like the surface of the ocean, you can be assured that that was cut with a sawzall. It's impossible to cut a straight line with a sawzall. In other words, you just could you can't, and that's the that's the problem, the Dremel problem, right? Is what. You start to do it, and then you think, "Now I'm just going to go even that up. I'm just going to go even that, even that out a little bit." It's like trying to li- even out your sideburns. It's not, it's a lose lose yeah. situation. Yeah. Then you take another two inches off, and you're like, "Okay, I'm just going to go back right now, and I'm just this time I'm going to be as steady as just like a laser beam." And uh, you know, with the Dremel, you're just like, "Oh, I finally just wore the thing away. To comp- it's gone now. I burnished the edges until until the things cease to exist." <laughs> Actually, now that you say burnish the edges, I've got something right here I could burnish. Hmm. Get that Dremel out. You do have a Dremel, don't you? Oh yeah, you gotta have all the tools, Dan. Mm-hmm. What would happen if what would happen if I had some edges I needed to burnish? Yeah. I'd be S O L. So where do you think you're getting sick from? I mean, is it I I know you're not a big like hand washer. I am. Oh, I wash my I, hands compulsively. I wash my hands. <clears throat> I teach my daughter to wash her hands. And having washed my hands, I then will not touch the knob or the door. Yeah. Or walk around like a surgeon about to go in yeah. to someone's brain. <clears throat> and so I teach my that's little hot. girl. That's hot. Get, get the, you know, like that's what I hate about bathrooms with those electric hand blowers. Ugh. Like go die. First of all, that's, it's like a leaf blower. It's a, it's a thing that was invented to do a thing we already had a tool to do. The, the, the rake is a fine tool. A broom is a good tool also. <clears throat> At some point, we figured that those were inefficient, too slow to get the job done. And so we implemented this thing that, that howls like a hovercraft. In order to do a thing, blow some leaves around, ah, it just it drives me crazy. And I know that, you know, it's just one of those things. Everybody accepts that they exist. This. But when I go into a bathroom and it, there, there's a movie theater downtown in Seattle that has hand blowers and <clears throat> they're giant bathrooms. The bathroom is built to accommodate like 50 people at a time because they're built to, you know, the movie gets out and it's just this mad rush to the bathroom. 50 people in this thing. But if you walk in and one person is using that hand blower, you, it's, you can't be in the space. For whatever reason, it's built in such a way that that, that, that hand dryer just it just penetrates to the center of your mind. And yet everybody else in there knows it, right? All 50 people are like, ah, it's intolerable to be in here. But one after another, they line up and they start that hand blower and they sit there and luxuriate in the sound of like the sound of being strafed by an enemy air force. 
and they wait until it's done and then they walk out and the next guy walks up and starts it up again. So the entire time you're in the bathroom, all you hear is that you can't hear yourself think. No, it's terrible. It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. And what are we, we're, 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 we're saving the trees. Is that what we're doing? Yes. Is that, that's it, the thinking. More, oh my God. But I think this is one of those, this is one of those kinds of hoax things where they, you know, where they try to get people to use this. And then I, I, I just don't understand it. And the worst, uh, and Merlin and I have talked at length about bathrooms and paper towels and, and Dyson's. And I am opposed to any of that to the point where I won't even, typically I won't even use one. If I go into a bathroom and I say, I'll either just shake it off that my hands I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and, or, you know, dry them on my, your, on my your pants. Man or, has a new girlfriend. <laughs> that's right. She says, Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I just want, it's just not, it's just not, uh, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. My son went into one and he came out of the bathroom and his hands are all wet. He's like, my hands are all wet. I'm like, why? He's like, they had one of those things in there. And I've never told him not to use that. This is all his own cognition, figuring this out. It was one of my proudest moments. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't understand when I, when I come out, when I, when my hands are wet after washing them in the sink, even when there are paper towels, and you got to run your wet hands through your hair, right? Every time, yeah, of course. You got to get those wet hands up there and and get your hair, you know, get your hair a little wet. Yeah, why not? You can't walk out of the bathroom with without having wetted your hair. Well, let me okay, let me pause pause you for a second. Do yeah. do you feel that your hair is clean at all oh, times? Yeah, yeah well, for yeah, I do. I keep my hair like it's clean. it's clean of germs. Is what you're saying? Like it doesn't have germs in it, but it's still because like for me, the concern is always sort of the OCD contamination, invisible germs and that kind of oh, thing. Oh, that some germs have settled in your hair or just anything other than the. Are you saying that you think you have germy hair? I don't feel like hair in particular is germy any more than anything else in the world that isn't the hot running water and the soap. Uh-huh. Like hot running water and soap is like a <clears throat> neutral a neutral value and then right, anything until the water is contaminated until the water is contaminated or the soap itself because you know that if they don't change the soap out in those or that's the same dispenser that the nozzle isn't replaced when they replace the soap that 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 soap this is going to blow your mind john you probably yeah. know this our listeners yeah. might know it too soap yeah. is not inherently clean uh-huh. soap itself can harbor bacteria in it oh dear that the, the action of washing your hands in, with the soap, the yeah. soap is going to bond to the things that are dirty and germy on your hands more easily than the, those things bond to you, the surface of your skin. So the, mm-hmm. the washing process is removing them because they want to cling to the soap better than they want to cling to your hand. It's not actually <laughs> like the soap itself. And so if, if there's germs right. and junk in the soap, you can just be you could have relatively clean hands. Use the soap. Now your hands are content. You don't know. Well, here's a, I mean, you may have given That's me probably why thought. you're sick. You're washing no, your hands think, so much. I don't think I got it from soap. We would like to thank our sponsor today. It's Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. That's what these guys are all about. Making it really easy to make a website. You've heard us talk about Squarespace here a bunch of times. You probably heard it on a lot of other podcasts. So what can I tell you that's new? What can I tell you that's interesting? Why do you care about Squarespace. I'll tell you why. A long time ago, it used to be like how I made a living. 
I used to build websites for people and I used to build publishing tools for people that let them publish those websites, right? So we might design the site or I would work with the designer, pay them a whole lot of money. They would design the site and then I would write some kind of customized tool that would let people publish to that site. I did that for individuals, I did it for businesses, universities, you name it. And it was really hard work. And no two sites were ever the same. They all had different needs, they all had different things that they wanted to do. And of course, their designs had to be completely different. The idea that Squarespace has come up with a system that's so flexible, that's so reliable, and that brings together so many different kinds of technologies, it's the little details that make it such a great platform. For example, people always want to link up YouTube videos and embed things like that. They make it incredibly easy. It's like drag and drop. People want to change the look and the feel of their website, and they want to do it across the entire site. You can do that in one step. You can completely redesign the entire site, every single page of the site, by just picking a new template. You get this cool preview mode where you get to see how it's going to look. You completely customize it there. And when you're done and you like the way it looks, you click a button, your whole website republished, and it looks great. This is the kind of thing Squarespace does, and they make it so easy to do. You don't need to hire people anymore. And they make it so affordable. If you got something to sell, they have a built-in e-commerce. It'll even tell you if you put the size and the weight in of the stuff that you're selling, you're selling mugs or t-shirts or whatever it is that you're making, you put in the size and the weight of that, Squarespace will figure out shipping costs based on the person's uh, zip code and the weight of the thing that you're putting in there and how much space it takes up. It'll tell you what kind of box to use. Like it, everything's there. So go check it out. Go to squarespace.com. That's their domain. And use the code ROADWORK, one word, ROADWORK, to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, squarespace.com. Code is ROADWORK. Off your first purchase, 10%. It's good. It's a good discount. And we appreciate their long-term support. Go give them a try. Thanks, Squarespace. You know, those soap dispensers, they don't have locks on them, Dan. Anybody can get into those soap dispensers. Anybody can put anything they want in there. They can put anything in there. They could they fill could those put LSD dispensers. in there. They could put LSD in there. That's absolutely right. Oh, they okay, could. I got I to check in with you on, on this LSD topic. I always There was always a thing when I was a kid growing up, and we're similar age, and I don't know if this was like a 70s, 80s trope or, or if this was real, but it was always like, you know, in school, oh, did you hear that they put a uh, hit of acid in Jason's drink at lunch? And he went berserk and they tested him and they found out he'd done acid and he's expelled now. So, you know, like that was always a thing that there was always a hit of acid and it was always put in somebody's drink. Yeah. Was that a real thing Were people running around actually doing that or is that a, a make believe? Well, I think the part of it that is make believe is that they can test you for LSD. I don't think anybody – I don't think they can test you for LSD. Um, they can't do like a, not, like a blood test and see if you have? I'm not 100% sure on this, but I don't think – I think LSD is delivered in such tiny, tiny amounts that certainly there's no, there's no test they could administer in the principal's office that would detect LSD. And I don't think – yeah, I don't think if they sent you down to the nurse – 
Well, they're not allowed to draw blood anyway, I don't think. But if, no. you, if, you, if you went to the hospital. I'm reading about I'm, this right now. You're, you're right. There, yeah. are, there is no way to test for LSD. Yeah. Um, I'll put that in the show notes. But uh, what you're describing is what's uh, called dosing. Dosing. <laughs> to dose somebody <laughs> is to put LSD in, their, in something that they consume without their knowledge. Yeah. That is to dose them, and they are subsequently dosed. And LSD is very easy to slip into somebody's food. And so, of course, over the many years, lots of lots of people have been dosed. Um, because if you give LSD to – if you give a, a little handful of it, LSD is measured in handfuls. Right. That's how it's sold. <laughs> hey, man, I'd like two handfuls. <laughs> Okay, bro. Um, <laughs> if you give some to teenagers, they're going to do as much. They're going to do all kinds of stupid shit with it, right? But and wouldn't you? Wouldn't if, if you're paying for the LSD? Don't don't you want to consume it yourself? <laughs> like if I well, go up and buy a a, a, a soda, mm. I'm not going to be like, well, here, just that, here. I want to play a trick on somebody here. Use this soda, especially if the soda is expensive. I'm going to keep it. I want that soda. I bought it for me. I would assume it's the same with the LSDs. Well, LSD is it falls into a very unique category of drugs. Yeah, the, the, what you're describing is what I've always said about the supposed PCP laced pot, the, right? Which is PCP is not free if you and it's a and it's a it's a tricky enough drug, a sketchy enough drug that if you have any quantity of it, you're not going to you're not going to waste it on pot that you sell to some dopey kids that you're not even going to be around to watch the hilarity, right? Right. Like what the what possible point? I mean, the only way the reason you would give somebody PCP that they hadn't ordered was that you could either watch them freak out, which would be hilarious to you, which is a pretty sadistic thing. Yeah. Or that you're like, hey, try some of this free PCP. I think you'll like it. And then you'll become a regular customer. Right. Sure. Of mine. You're not just going to be like, ah, I've got all this extra PCP and send the kids. But LSD <laughs> is a very interesting category because traditionally, I'm talking about until recent times, traditionally LSD was incredibly cheap. Um, it was like 2 or $3 a hit. Oh, okay, okay. Even, even when I was, um, you know, in college and after, uh, you know, a hit of LSD was, was a negligible cost. And, and, uh, and, Unlike most drugs, it had a very long-lasting experience. You know, for two or three dollars, you could have be on LSD for twelve hours. Mm. Like compared to cocaine, which is very expensive and has a very short-term experience, like LSD was a lot of value for the money. And I don't know what the current cost of a hit of LSD is, but it's a it's a chemical that you can. I mean, you can't really make it easily but it it's 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 makeable and unlike methamphetamine the component drugs the component compounds that go into making the drug aren't federally controlled right you can just kind of go so you could you're saying you're saying a regular person could get the recipe and and pick up this stuff and make it if they want not maybe a regular person but a chemist okay you know somebody that that can that knows what they're doing and so, you know, you used to be able to buy like, like 
acid in liquid form in a dropper, mm-hmm. you know, like a little medicine dropper and you could drop it like it, like it it's made initially as a liquid and then you soak pieces the, of the paper, blotter paper in it. right? Blotter paper, right. And you put a little, little drop of LSD on every one of those little teeny pieces of blotter paper. So anyway, it's, it was very inexpensive, uh, to dose somebody and also, Hilarity ensues, presumably, as your 14-year-old friend sitting in class and you're sitting, you know, you're sitting two rows behind him with your friend and you're giggling as he starts to look at his fingernails and be like, what is going on? You know, and I think it was probably more common in an era when people were doing a lot more drugs. Mm -hmm. Like if you did it now to some unsuspecting high school freshman – who had never done any drugs, if you dosed somebody who had never done LSD before or any drug, uh, it would be really, I mean, I I would find that really fascinating because if you didn't tell them what had happened, right. it, it could either be really scary or it could be really religious. You know, they could mm-hmm. say like, wow, I suddenly am on a whole other, I'm operating on a whole other level. Uh, but I, I was dosed. One time, um, while I was asleep, really, I was, <clears throat> I had a habit of, um, because I didn't have a, I didn't have a, uh, an address of my own. Uh, and so I was really fascinated with other people's addresses, which is to say that I knew when, you know, my friends, I knew what their habits were. And when I knew they weren't home, I would go sneak into their house and sleep because I didn't have my own address and I was tired. <laughs> and because good, I good reason, I guess. Right. And yeah. I, because I, didn't I was tired. Work, I didn't work during the day. If they were in class or they had a job during the day, I knew they wouldn't be home. And it was the halcyon days of the 80s when not everybody locked their doors all the time. It was just like college town. What's the big deal? So I would slip in. I'd fall asleep on the couch. That type of thing. And then they'd come home and they'd go, ah, what are you doing here? And I'd be like, oh, whoa, I'm awake. Hey, what's going on tonight? You know, what's in the fridge? <laughs> I was, I mean, I was a pain in everybody's butt. Uh, and one time I was, it was sort of beautiful late spring day sun streaming in and I had gone into some, uh, friend's house and I was asleep. Uh, and in this instance, I may have gone right past the couch and just climbed into a friend's bed Mm. and was sleeping there, which, you know, it was like I say, college, right? Right. Sure. Just having fun. You're in and out of each other's beds all the time. (laughs) And they came home. And it turned out that they had scored a bunch of acid. And they were actually looking for me because they wanted to, you know, like, let's all do some acid. It was Friday afternoon or something like, let's, here we go off. The, the weekend is, belongs to us. And so one of the guys found me in this bed and he was like, oh, how do you like them apples? And so they came in and they just put the LSD in my snoring mouth oh in my, my open mouth as I was asleep, just like drop, drop, drop. How, and, how much do you think was deposited? Well, it was at a time when we were all doing, uh, acid fairly regularly. We were experienced operators. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and they were also taking it themselves. So I'm sure they gave me the dose that they were, that they were giving themselves. Maybe they threw a little extra, a little half drop in there just for good measure. Cause I was sleeping in, in their bed, Who right. knows? but it was, uh, so I woke up because they let me sleep, right? They, because this was the, this was the joke. Like you're, you don't then wake them up and say, ha ha, we dosed you. Right. You just no, let it, you let it go. Yeah. You let it go. See what happens. And, um, you know, I started to stir and woke up and, you know, when you first wake up, of course, that, that where is reality kind of in and out state of blurred eyes mm-hmm. and, and, uh, where the hell am I kind of disorientation is always, it always kind of feels a little bit like there are so many things that feel a little, just a little bit like, whoa, am I? Am I on, am I on acid? And then you're like, no, I'm not on acid. Clearly I'm not. I just, I just had a little weird, there was a speck in my eye or something. But I woke up and I was like, whoa. And it was the kind of LSD, there are a lot of different kinds, or it has a lot of different effects on you. Some of it can be very unfun. Some of it can be very fun. And this was very, what we would describe as very visual LSD, which is to say that it was having, it was creating hallucination Mm. and not all LSD does, right? A lot of it is just psychological. I thought it was all the hallucination stuff. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, I mean the, there's a, a broad category of hallucination. You can hallucinate emotions. You can hallucinate all, you can hallucinate, um, like takes on reality. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, LSD has a lot of, you know, if you, if you suddenly see it, it so evidently plain that human beings are, um, are just like naked insects. It is less a hallucination of the eye mm. and more of the, you know, more of the perception or the emotion. Humans don't look different to you. They just suddenly look different to you, Mm. you know, but then there are, there are strains of acid that are very visual, which is to say like they, in the case of this stuff on this particular day, it didn't have a very psychological aspect to it. It wasn't like, Oh, whoa, all my friends are tomatoes or whatever. It was just, visually really stimulating and one of the first signs of it is what's called tracers so if you if you move your hand in front of your face you know you just kind of wave your hand from one side to the other yeah tracers will leave trails in the air as though you know it's a photo effect that you see a lot on on early 90s video production (laughs) where somebody waves their hand and it's, and there's this, there are tracers that follow it. Everything on the screen is kind of leaving trails, uh, like, um, after images. Right. I get it. (laughs) And so I woke up and immediately was looking around the room. And as I moved my head, um, there were tracers attached and, I knew that that was, I knew what that was, 
and the only fear, there was just a brief fear that came over me that because when you are an LSD, uh, when you're a member of that culture, there's always that little haunt of the, you know, the historical record contains verifiable instances of people who are tremendously damaged by LSD, yeah. right? P- Peter Green of Fleetwood Mac or um, Brian Wilson even, uh, but also people that, you know, people that, you know, I mean, I know, I, I know a guy that never came back. And so, so, I mean, what does that, what does that mean when you say that? I mean, it's the type of, the drug is profound. Um, <clears throat> it's just simply profound. And that profundity can go a lot of different directions, even for somebody that's taken it many, many times. You take it and you really are not sure. You Every time you're rolling the dice, mm. you know, and, and that's to a certain extent is the same with a lot of psychoactive drugs. Um, like every time you smoke pot, there's no guarantee that you're going to have, you're going to duplicate the experience. Mm-hmm. If you drink beer, you know that every time you drink beer, you're going to more or less get the same experience. Yeah. <clears throat> if you drink gin, that's not necessarily the case, right? Beer <clears throat> and whiskey and vodka are more or less they, they're duplicatable or, you know, you, you, you drink whiskey and you're like, here I am drinking whiskey again. Here's that old familiar feeling. If you drink gin, um, which is the original LSD, gin can, gin can go a lot of different ways. You can have, you can drink gin and one day you're this and the next day you're that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and as you move up the food chain, um, so, so, there are a lot of questions about whether or not LSD, because also people are in their early twenties, late teens, early twenties when they're experimenting with the drug, which is also when you're going to exhibit signs of schizophrenia. If you are afflicted with it, yeah. right? You, you can be 17, 18 years old and not have, not have shown any signs. And then right about that same age you, you tip. And so does LSD, does it um, does it tip people that were already fragile or that already had that tendency? It, is it just a coincidence that sort of, you know, one day where this person was already going to have this experience, it just was pushed, uh, you know, that just it just was triggered? Or can it create in a person the uh, the effect of like, like chemical schizophrenia. I mean, Peter Green and Brian Wilson both appear to have over many, many decades worked their way back to some kind of stable, albeit shattered self. Right. Um, and I don't know whether the, they're medicated. I don't think either one of them were diagnosed with schizophrenia. They are, they're widely understood to be acid casualties. And so it does like, <clears throat> there were a couple of times, uh, 
when I was taking LSD where I felt the cold hand, um, which is to say that the trip was the trip I was on was taking a turn. A I, turn I, I've never heard that expression before. Is that one of your own? I just coined it. I like that. Um, but that feeling of, um, because you can be with a, you can be with a group of your pals. You're all having a wonderful time. Um, you know, it's <clears throat> typically LSD is not, it's not like a, it's not like ecstasy. It doesn't make you want to be sexual, but it's very tactile. You know, I've sat with, with close friends, men and women, and just sort of, you know, not like pawed each other, but like, you know, you're trading back and forth these little things that you found and you're kind of touching each other and right. touching little things. It's very like, there is a physical aspect of it. You can feel very together with people. Sure. But if you're in, at least my experience, when, when, when a trip potentially starts to, starts to take a turn for the dark, you really, you really feel, I mean, there's no aloneness like the aloneness of realizing that you're on this psychological trip internally and no one, no one outside you can really help you if it goes sideways. Mm. Your friends can rally around and they can pet your hair and they can say, it's cool, man. It's cool. It's cool, man. But if your mind decides to go leaping off across, uh, a, like a lava field, you know, that you have, there is no other you except that one. There's no you that's going to sit here by the campfire and mind the store while your other you is off galloping around. Like where your mind goeth, thither goeth thou. <laughs> um, and so there were a couple of times where I felt that. And one time I really, I was in a, I was in Durango, Colorado, and I was in a situation where it was unfamiliar town, unfamiliar people, and I found, um, I found myself in an unfamiliar scene and I just didn't like the vibe. The vibe was, the vibe was uncool. And I had taken somebody else's LSD with some other dudes that I didn't know and mm -hmm. was in some kind of out in the forest. And I was, I've never been somebody that's like, I'm lost. But <clears throat> looking around, there was no safe harbor. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, it's not like I could even walk down to the Seven Eleven and have the familiarity of, well, at least I know what a Seven Eleven is, right? It was, I was just in the pine forests in these cabins, there were a lot of people around and it was, and the, I just felt like the vibe between the people was dark and I got this feeling of like, oh no, this is, this is going to, I could feel myself going to the left. Mm. And so <clears throat> I immediately uh, went into self-protective mode while I still had, um, while I still had that authority over myself and I got away from all those people immediately and I went kind of on a walk through the forest and I was consoling myself, you know, like kind of doing that hippie thing that you would ask your bros to do. Like, it's cool, man. Like, look, it's just you. You're out here in the forest. It's God's beautiful earth. You're just chilling and walking through the woods and everything is fine. 
And I was doing that business and it was, and I was, it was working. I was mollifying myself. But once I, once you feel that tingle of like, oh, this could, you know, you want to think some dark thoughts, they are here for you. Mm. You know, it's, it's not that easy to dispel. I'm walking along and walking just through the woods and here comes this dog. And who knows what, who knows what the fucking dog was doing out there, whose dog it was. This, you know, this sort of medium sized husky dog comes along and I go, Hey dog, what are you doing? And the dog's just like, I'm with you now. And the dog totally like me and the dog, right? For the next eight hours or whatever. And then, and we walked back to town and the dog was with me and we knocked on the door of some house that was, it was a party, you know, it was a party. There were, there, there was a big party, right? And it was, um, I walked in cause it was Durango, Colorado. It's a party town. Mm-hmm. Walked into this house. The people at the house were like, Hey, what's up, man? And I was like, just me and this dog. Is it cool if we come in? And they were like, sure. And we went in and the dog and I sat down on the living room floor and the party went on around us and the dog and I just hung out. People would come talk to us and I kept, you know, I kept a lid on it. I kept cool until I, until I made it out the other side. And that sounds, I mean, in the retelling, it sounds dumb because it's like, oh, you're a stupid ass hippie. You're tripping on drugs and you found a dog. Like that's the dumbest hippie story I ever heard. But when, (laughs) you know, when the fear is on you, um, and that, and that, and that fear is very difficult to describe except by saying the, you know, the call is coming from inside the house, <laughs> right? You're not, it's a beautiful sunny day. You're not scared of anything except what's in, what's inside your own head. And, um, so, I was ready for you to tell me that the dog wasn't really there. No, I think the dog was there. Okay. I mean, I was just ready for you to say, and then like, I realized that like the dog wasn't there at all. And it was my spirit animal protecting me, guiding me through the experience or something. That would be, that would be a dumb hippie story. (laughs) No, but the dog stayed with me and and, and it's, and it's one of those things where you never know what a dog can sense. Right. But the dog stayed with me. And then as soon as I was kind of fine, it's not like the dog checked in with me, tilted his little dog head like they do in movies and go, (laughs) are you cool? Okay. You know, he just, we were just playing and having a good time. And then all of a sudden he just kind of looked over his shoulder and was gone. And I was like, <clears throat> don't go dog. I thought it was you and me against the world, but, but I was fine then, you know? And so maybe it was, maybe it was the great spirit. I'm going to say like, did anyone else see the dog? Yeah. Other people were interacting with the dog. It was a real dog. Right. Because if you're hallucinating a dog, you couldn't have hallucinated people interacting with the dog. I'm not trying to cast doubt on your memory, but I'm intrigued by this whole thing at a very serious level. So I just want to explore all the options. Typically, I do not find that that kind of hallucination has ever really been in my right. uh, my quiver of hallucination talents. Um, I do. It is entirely possible that the dog was only with me for 11 to 22 minutes right. rather than imagining that the dog was with me for six hours. <coughs> Like over the years, I have made, I've made, I think what is what I now regard as a category error, which is I will be in one location and a dog, usually a husky will bound up out of the woods and the dog will, having arrived, the dog will now be like, I'm with you. 
I'm either I'm with you guys or I'm with you, dude. And every time I'm always, it's because Huskies are, Huskies are, are very unusual animals in that their eyes are always directed towards the horizon. A Husky is never like, let's cuddle or, you know, well, it's been a long day, Farmer Brown. Let's go back to the house and maybe you'll toss me a pork chop. Like a Husky is always looking into the middle distance and you can have a, a Husky be your constant companion. But it, at least in my experience, their loyalty is always toward the distance, you know, the mm-hmm. exploration, the desire to go. And if you, you know, if you leave a Husky in a yard where the fence is not high, the Husky will go over the it fence. Will, yeah, like, it's gone, right? The dog just wants to go. And it's not disloyalty. It's not that they, that they don't love you. It's just that they hear a call. And so growing up in Alaska and, 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 and also traveling in all these places like Durango, which is a version of, you know, Colorado version of Alaska, Huskies are one of the, one of the main, um, cool dogs. And so over the years, probably a handful of times, a Husky has come out of nowhere and approached me and been like, Hey, and I'm always astonished because I think they're beautiful dogs. And I love an animal that looks to the horizon, right? I love a, I love a dog, even a little purse dog, even a little chihuahua. If that dog is looking to the horizon, I always admire it because there's something still there. The wolf is still in it. And so the husky and I will, will form a quick bond And then I'll say to the dog, hey, I'm doing the thing. I'm doing this or that. And the dog's like, that's cool. I'm with you. Let's hang. And the husky then sticks around for an hour or two. Not because I have any food or anything, just because that's, I think, in their nature. It's on the same wavelength with you for a while. Yeah, or just like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm here. Let's. And so the category error I've made, the mistake I've made, is going to a third location with the dog taking the dog with me past the point of the dog saying like, I'm following, I'm following you of my own accord. Like, you know, I'm in a pickup truck and I'm like, Hey dog, get in the back of the truck. And the dog's like, okay. And hops up and I'm like, we're going to go down the road to a friend's place. And the dog's like, whatevs or like get up in the car. Yeah. The dog does. And then I take the dog somewhere. Because I have made, and this all happened many, many years ago. I've never done, I haven't done this since I was a grown up. but like in that weird uh, interregnum between childhood and adulthood, which we call the teens and 20s, which in my case lasted into my 30s. <laughs> but then you're at a third location. You've taken the dog on the road somehow. You've taken the dog several miles away. And then the dog, eyes on the horizon still says, va con Dios, and not in a way, and it doesn't make an announcement. You're just like hanging out with your friend. Hey, did you see my dog? Yeah, the dog's just, you know, the dog is just with us now. And then it's like, where's the dog? Oh, no, where'd the dog go? And the dog, you'll never see the dog again. And you, and I don't know whether when the dog originally showed up, whether it was three blocks from its house, and this was its normal circle, you know, and I'm just like, get in the truck. Mm-hmm. Or whether this dog has been roaming the earth of its own free will for 24 years. It's the world's oldest husky. It has the, you know, it's out there saving acid casualties right and left because it's, right. because it's really the, the animated ghost of mother nature. 
Um, so I no longer will put a strange dog in my car and take it, you know, take it to a third location because it's not my responsibility. If I have somewhere to go, I have to say goodbye to the dog there. Anyway, the day I got dosed, when I finally sat up in bed, I could hear them giggling. Oh, I yeah. could hear, and they were peeping on me through the windows. They were out in the yard peeping on me through the windows. <laughs> And I was like, you guys, oh, evil, you doused me, what? And then they all came rushing in. It was hilarious and fun. And then we went out and, uh, you know, and like did something, I guess, that probably still happens in the Midwest where you and some friends just walk along the railroad tracks for miles and miles, <laughs> throwing rocks and and like picking up sticks and running the sticks along the railroad ties, clack, 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 clack. I mean, I don't know if that, it seems like it only happens in movies anymore, but it actually used to happen in real life. And we were all tripping balls and it was one of those, uh, really, really visual days where it was just like, you know, you kind of hold your hand out there and, and just say like, I'm going to conjure an orb and uh, you could just make little balls of fire with your, with your hands and we were all laughing and conjuring orbs for each other and, you know, just like fun, um, goofy day that did not impart any great mysteries. There were, there, nothing was solved. There wasn't any, I didn't, none of us had any fundamental like shock of new awareness. Uh, it was, it was just the, the sort of, the easy thing that you that you sometimes want from psychedelic drugs, which is just that you have a day that's just like weird and fun and amazing, uh, where you're, you know, the the extra the extra senses that drugs like that have have available, the, uh, access to those extra senses. Um, if you can find a, if you can find that balance where you you're able to access them access them where access them why am i i'm am i tripping right now no, i, I don't can't think i don't so. even we're in the the <laughs> the accent on the wrong syllable um but you know that's that's always the that's always the trick like you start tapping around on the on the brain and you never know what you're going to get but every once in a while you do you do tap on a on a place where you're just delivered something beautiful and you think well wouldn't why don't we just have that all the time i mean why can't i just why can't that be on demand yeah but it isn't you know it's uh it's too mysterious and there there have been many many times on drugs of that ilk where i've felt like i leapt ahead you know, like on the, on the climb, the ladder of enlightenment or whatever. You, yeah. You feel that leap up to a place that you, that, that it would be a long, slow slog to get there by manual means. Um, but you make this jump and you're there and you feel the, you feel the benefit of it for a while of having done, you know, accessing things that are accessible to everyone without chemicals, you know, but, but just through a pro through process, through, uh, through habit and discipline. And you, you're shown 
you're shown through the curtain a little bit because these drugs are tapping on your brain in ways that's like, oh, you know, like imagine this. Imagine if you had, if you had total recall or imagine if you were somebody that could, that had perfect pitch or, you know, you're, it's all in there somehow. But then the drug wears off and you realize that it, you, you, it's, it's only a little bit of that stuff that you can carry with you into the light of the next day. Mm-hmm. Most of it <clears throat> you can remember having felt, but you leave behind the feeling. Thank you.